Let's then turn and our Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews. Today we're in chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from, I'll read the entire chapter just because it's a good chapter. And then we'll look at a portion of it, okay? Uh, today we'll be looking at verses 1 to 6, but I'll read the entire chapter and then we'll, we'll just look at it, okay? Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Hebrews 3. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone but he who build, built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. For, as, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house we are if you hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years, therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they, will, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any in any lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily of you or why it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. For who, having rebelled, indeed was it not, oh sorry, for who, Having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not all those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief. Amen. So again, the important lessons when we're looking at Hebrews is to remember who he's writing to. Remember I've told you many times that he's writing to three particular groups. He's writing to the, the Hebrews, the Jewish people who have accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They are Christians just like you and I. 
They believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the one sent from God who came and died for their sins, that they might be reconciled to God and now I live as children of God, co-heirs with Christ, having received his righteousness, being redeemed. He then is also writing to the Jews who are on the fence. We might call them nominal believers. They accepted Jesus' called from God. He, he was sent from God. They accept that he was a prophet, a mighty man, that he was important somehow in some way. to the, But they haven't yet believed in their hearts. They accept the traditions. They accept the outward appearance. They enjoy the benefits of the congregation. But truly and really in their hearts, they have a little bit of space between them and Christ. They are still hindered by unbelief. And then also, thirdly, he's talking to the Jews that totally reject Jesus. Those who are in, in, indifferent. They hear what's being said. They've seen what's going on. They know the stories. But in their heart, they just want nothing to do with Jesus. Nah, not for me. I love my sin. I love my traditions. I'm quite comfortable in the lifestyle that I have. And then also we must remember the circumstances in which the letter was written. At this time, the Jewish believers were going through difficulties. It was the beginnings of persecution. Not quite persecution. They weren't literally like casting people into the, into the uh, arena and letting the lions eat them. But maybe there was imprisonment. Maybe there were fines. Maybe there was being put out of the congregation. Maybe there was people were talking about them. Do you remember the, where it says in the book of Acts that Saul who became Paul, that's the apostle Paul, he went around persecuting the church, breathing out murderous threats, taking men, women, families and putting them in jail. There was this tremendous anti-church feeling going on there. And the rights and the freedoms of the believers were being restricted. So much so that it was greatly tempting for the believers among the Jews to go back, to not be so Christian, to not practice their faith, just simply to turn, turn it down a little bit, turn down the volume, just kind of mold and fit in and look like everyone else, just so that they didn't have to pay the cost. And it is to these people and in this environment that the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing. And he's trying to lift Christ up in their eyes. He's trying to show them why it's so important for them to continue in the faith. One might think that they're getting tired. They're getting weary and all this, all this trouble. You know the, the old joke about the husband who just 
does what his wife says. She just nags and nags and nags, and he just eventually just gives in for the quiet life. And one might say that that works is just like the husband who nags and nags his wife, and then until his wife just gives in and does what he wants. There's this idea that human beings, we can only tolerate so much stress before we begin to give, before we begin to find ways of adapting and overcoming. Sometimes, again, we, we, we just give in for the sake of a quiet life, for the sake of just not wanting to be different or, or, or to be unusual. We're afraid. I've said many times, I've never met a culture in all of my travels of all over the world, I've never met a culture like Finland where people are afraid of the them. What, what shall they say? The fear of what people say or think about you personally. What will they say about you in the village? Maybe it's because I just have never experienced small village life before as I have here in Finland. The, the fear of the opinion of men. Indeed, it is a great expression of the fear of man. It is to these people and to this circumstance that the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing. And he's encouraging them. He's reminding them of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus is important to the faith. He's not just important. He is the basis of all that we believe. It is in him that we believe. And we can't remove him. We can't dial down him in any way. Make him less important in our faith. And then raise up other stuff. The rituals, the traditions that supplant Jesus and take his place. And we're more faithful in our traditions than we are in our worshipping and acknowledging of Jesus. It's more easy to do the outward than to be attentive in the inward. So today in in chapter 3 in verse 1, the writer is very clear to which one of those groups he's now speaking to. Remember we said that there are three groups. Well the writer here now is addressing the very first group. Therefore holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, he is being very clear to whom he is speaking at this present moment. I am speaking to you believers, heavenly brethren, holy brethren, Those set apart by God. Those who have a living faith. Those who have partaked. The idea is that you have shared in. We have partaked in a meal together. We eat. Yesterday we had men's. I always want to call it prayer breakfast. It's not really a prayer breakfast. It's Bible study I've done. And we ate a glorious man meal of steak and eggs and fried bread and beans, and fried tomatoes, coffee and tea, because it was a manly thing to do, and we partake of it together. And you know, there's something special about when people sit down and have a cup of coffee together, or a meal together. Of course, me, we being men, we do things exaggerated and over the top and silly and stupid and foolish. Because we're men, that's what men do. We climb mountains and fall them down and do silly things together. 
But we partake of those things together. We share that experience together. It's something that bonds us and brings us together. And here he's saying of this, you who have partaked of the heavenly calling, you who have shared in this meal, you who have a part of the same life that we do, we, ex- we all share in this experience. He's talking specifically to them. And not just to them, to the Hebrews of his generation, not just to the Hebrews who believe in Christ through all but to all believers everywhere, through all times. It's a, a voice that just keeps on speaking and speaking and speaking. One might say, well, that he was just talking to the Jews there. I'm not a Jew. And I'm certainly not from way back then. But this is a message to all people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those holy brethren, those who are set apart. Beloved, are we not those who are set apart? I mean, consider Finland Finland today. How many of the people in our villages, in our towns, are gathered together in little places like this? How many of our brothers and sisters and compatriots are set apart, are sharing in this desire? Very, very few, the answer is. We are definitely the set apart. We are definitely those who have partaked of that heavenly calling, who have been summoned, called out by Christ to follow Him. And this message is to us as much as it was to those in the first century. But what does he tell them? Now we know who he's speaking. We know in the context in which he's speaking. But what is the command? What is, the, what is he saying? Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. Christ Jesus. Remember, he's speaking to a people that are wavering. Not in their faith. They're not considering going into apostasy. They're not considering leaving Christianity. They're considering dialing down their commitment. They're considering becoming a chameleon and just fitting in for the sake of perhaps avoiding discrimination or hardship or mockery or uncomfortableness among family members. Of making the sacrifice of hiding Jesus. Perhaps they've become tired and weary of all of the trouble. Of all of the hardship. And they're beginning to just want to break. Just want to rest. Just, wanna, just want things to be back to normal. He's writing to them. And he's trying to encourage them. And he doesn't just say, no, no. Keep on, keep on. Pick yourselves up. Ah, cheer up. Things will get better. He doesn't say anything like that. His advice to them, his command to them, his exhortation to them is to consider. To think upon. That word consider means to spend much time in the thinking about something. To Pull it apart. My, my Vigo, my second boy, as you all know, 
is uh, doing his exams. And you see him, he has a book in his hand all the time. And it's very important that he passes his finished exam. And he hasn't been all that good. He's like his daddy, not very good with languages. And he, he is studying day and night. I really admire his effort and his, his steadfastness. So you see him, he has a book in his hand, or he has his phone, and he's reading the book on his phone. He's studying, he's considering it, he's thinking about it, he's trying to process that which he's reading, trying to make it a part of him, not just something that he knows in the front of his mind, but something that's part of him. It's becoming who he is in the back of his mind. He's spending much time, both day and night, driving his mom mad because mom thinks he's doing something stupid on his phone, but he's reading books on his phone. He is considering. It's not some light consideration. It's not just like a, you know, we, we think about it for a moment and then we're like, ho, 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 butterfly. And we, we get distracted by something else. Or the kids take the place or bills take the place. No, he's saying in order that we might be built up in our faith, in order that we might find the strength to continue in order that we might be inspired in our faith once again we are to consider he who is the apostle and high priest of our confession of our faith beloved these people were being tempted to dial down and to to go back to perhaps their traditions and to the lifestyle that they lived before they believed in Jesus. I think it's a very common temptation. I don't, I, I don't think it's something that's unusual and, and was only for them. I think all believers through all times go through circumstances and states when they are tempted to dial back their devotion to Jesus. When life gets in the way... And we just, Jesus becomes less and other things become more. In my 30-something years as a believer, I have seen that oftentimes church becomes an idol in people's lives. Now, I'm a churchman. I love the church. It is my joy to serve you. I, I live for nothing else. I am that sad. But there comes a temptation that the organization of the church, what we do, not necessarily for the church, but what we do in church becomes more important than the builder of church, Jesus Christ. Our our duties, our purposes, our, our obligations become our ritual and our circumstance. And we elevate them above Jesus Christ. It should always be Jesus Christ first and everything else afterwards. I'm not saying neglect your duties or your, the, the responsibilities that you have in church. But make sure you're doing them for the right reason. You're doing them because we love Christ. And we want to see him glorified. We want to see him blessed. 
the love of Christ that's in us because we love him and we receive that love back then motivates us to demonstrate that love to each other. We serve one another because we love him and he loves us and he loves you and because I love him and he loves you, I love you too. That was a thing to say there, wasn't it? Wow. So we are called to consider to spend time in thinking about Jesus. But it's just about random Jesus, you know, kind of like, oh, he was really good with kids, you know. <laughs> Something. No, the writer here gives us specifically what we are to consider about Jesus. First, that he is the apostle and high priest. He's not the apostle and the high priest. It's the apostle and high priest. What does it mean by that he is the apostle? He is the one who is sent by God. He is not a apostle, one of many. He is the apostle. He is the one who was sent by God to speak to you. He is an apostle in the ancient world was the highest authority a person could be other than the the master or the, the king. An ambassador, perhaps, we would think, in that sense. But even more so, he spoke with all of the authority and power. And to disobey an apostle was a dangerous thing. Could lead to war. Could lead to punishment. We are told here that Jesus Christ is the apostle. He is the only one, the true one, the real one, who came from God to speak to us. He presents, represents God. He is the one who comes from God's side to us. The peacemaker. He is the one who came from God to you. You and husbands... I guess, maybe wives, let's not be sexist then. Wives, when they buy their husbands flowers, like that's ever happened. Uh, when husbands buy their wives flowers, which in my, my house, that rarely happens. I, I confess that. And they do it because they, they love that person. They, you know, there was this old Interflora advertisement on TV when I was young. And it was a, there was this like um, James Bond character and he was all dressed in black and he had a balaclava on and these ski masks and he would climb up mountains and he would swing across ravines and he would, there would be guards on the walls and he would sneak past them in the dark of night and then he would enter into this, this bedroom, someone's, climb through the, the window into someone's bedroom. And it would be all like James Bondy. And then all of a sudden he'd take, for, take out this bouquet of flowers and he'd put it in a vase. And it would say, if you really love someone, say it with flowers. You know, like into flowers. It was a good advertisement. I still remember for many, many years. But you know, they exaggerate if you really want to say, say that you love someone, say it with flowers. You left a few daisies or whatever they were, roses. Jesus Christ is God's expression of love to you and I. When God wanted to say that he loved you, he gave you Jesus. Jesus is the highest expression of God's love to you. 
You ever want to consider, does God love me? I don't feel like I'm loved. Nobody cares for me. (laughs) Consider the apostle of our confession. He who was sent to prove the love that God has for you. The one who came to bring you the words of God that you might live and enjoy the blessing of God in your life. To beloved, remember, consider he who is the apostle. He who represents God. We look at him and we see God. We see the love of God. Remember the Bible says God is love. So important that we feel loved, that we realize and recognize that we are loved. We live in such a lonely generation, an unloved generation, a generation that is full of despair, depression. I was told, not last week, but maybe the week before, uh, that we have again an, an, an epidemic of school children who are on antidepressant drugs, who are lost and and don't know what's wrong with them. Oh, I wish they would allow us to tell them you are suffering from sin, and the only the only real answer is to know the love of God. Now, there may be biochemical, other things. There may be issues to work out. But when the love of God comes and changes a heart, and I know this personally, when I was a young man full of anger, full of fear, full of loneliness, God came in in a moment, transformed and changed my heart from being a a really murderously angry young man to being someone who loved people <laughs> was crazy. There was such a change in my life that my mom considered that I had been brainwashed in a moment because there was such a change. And in this generation, we need to be able to demonstrate. We need to remember, we need to consider, to reflect on continually that Jesus Christ, the apostle of our confession, of our faith, is God's love letter, is God's bouquet, is God's representative to us. Consider that and be refreshed in your faith. Understand that God is not distant and far away. He has not neglected you or rejected you. You believe in Jesus. Not because of your goodness or a power or authority or ability, but because God himself revealed Jesus to you in order that you might believe. And also then, beloved, we are to remember Jesus Christ is our high priest. The high priest. He who not only has come from God and represents God to men, but him who represents men mankind to God it is him who speaks and acts on our behalf it is him Jesus who has redeemed us 
We, we often think, well, God saved me. God. And we, we kind of make distance there. God kind of like unknowable and far. And, and we, we, we kind of can hold ourselves aloof at a distance from God. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, He knows you. Remember that the Bible says that your name has been written down in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world? Your name. Even before God spoke and the universe came into creation, your name had been decided in eternity past that you would be a believer. He didn't kind of put his hand in a bag and go like a lotto kind of thing and whoa! Congratulations, you've won a prize. No, he knew you and considered you. Knew your life. He knew your death. He knows all things about you. He knows more about you than you do. Because you only know what's happened. He knows what's going to happen. He, you only know who you were and are. He knows who you will be. Jesus Christ picked you. Decided, decided to save you. It wasn't random and you weren't forced upon him. Like you had to go, oh, okay, I kind of must take this one as well. Oh. You ever have one of those, those moments with your kids when you said, well, then go and play with him. And your kids are like, must I? Must I play with that one as well? And you're like, yes. And you're like, well, I'm so tricky. Whatever they say. They say that about my Levi. You know. Most you like him a Levi. Yes. Sometimes we feel like we've been pushed upon Jesus. That he was forced to take us. And he's like. Oh must I bother. That one. Really. It is not so beloved. For he is the high priest of our faith. He chose to represent us. He represents us as a collective. But also as individuals. Consider that what he did for you. You know, every individual in, in, in um, Israel had to offer sacrifices. They had to come with their own little sheep or lamb or goat or kid, whatever it was, or doves, pigeons. And they would have to go and they would have to put their hands upon the sacrifice and then they would cut the blood and then they would chase the other one away. And there was individual giving of, of sacrifice for sins. Yes, there was a collective sacrifice where the high priest would go and offer up sacrifice for the nations. But there was also the individual. And we must always consider, we must always remember that it was for us as individuals that Jesus offered up sacrifice. That he offered up himself, not just for us as a people, not just for us as a collective and as a community, but for us as individuals. Your sin was dealt with by Jesus. And he did it purposely. He didn't do it because you asked. Because, because remember, the decision had been made in eternity past, before the foundation of the earth. Your name had been written down in the Lamb's book of life. God had already decided. Christ had already decided. Blow your mind. You think about it too much. Beloved, consider this. 
that he is God's expression of love. He is the messenger sent by God to reveal himself to you, to call you into his family, to tell you how much he loves you. And Jesus is also the one who then protects you and represents you before God. He's the one who provides your redemption, who offers up himself as a sacrifice on your behalf. He's the one who stood before the wrath of God and sheltered you from the fires of eternity. Consider Jesus. Consider this glorious, wonderful God-man. Both God and man. We can see that the one who was sent from God is very God. And yet the one who came from mankind and represented us before the divine. One of us. Jesus Christ. It says in verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him. Jesus accomplished everything that God had set out for him to do. Do you remember when he was on the cross? And he cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Fulbordat, isn't that what it is in Swedish? Completed. There is nothing left. Everything that you have given me to do has been done. It is over. Jesus was faithful to the end and indeed still today faithful in heaven, praying and interceding and making place for us and will one day return for us. And then the writer here turns to the Old Testament because remember he's talking to Jews and he wants them to understand. They're thinking to themselves, how can all this be true? This is too good to be true. I don't, I believe what you're saying. I just don't know if it's true. How can it be true? Now they're being tempted to go back into the old life. To the worship, veneration of Moses. To the accepting of the law above Christ. Of traditions, of just getting, fitting into normal life. Doing what everybody else is doing. And... He wants to cut that off. The writer is saying to them, you want to go back to the old life? You want to go back to the old ways? Let me tell you about the old life. Let me tell you about the old ways. Jesus Christ was faithful as Moses was faithful to all of his house. As Moses was faithful, and remember these were Jews, they really venerated Moses. They, the law and Moses, there was no one like Moses. Indeed, if you examine biblical history, if you look at the Bible, the Old Testament, there was no other prophet in all the Old Testament like Moses. Like Moses. God spoke to Moses in a unique way. In a way that, unlike any other of the prophets, Indeed, the Bible says that they spoke face to face. Moses was, God came down upon the mountain and the mountain erupted into fire. And Moses went up into the fire. 
Do you remember the story of the burning bush? Where Moses is going up the mountain, Horeb, the mountain of God. And he draws close to this bush that he sees that's burning. And as he's approaching it, the voice of God speaks from out of the flames. Moses, take off your shoes for this is holy ground. And he then has a conversation with God. Where God says, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. And God and Moses talk like man to man. Person to person. There we go. A unique place. When Moses dies at the end of his life, God buries him. The Bible says God buries him and no man knows where he was buried. So they couldn't venerate his bones and make something out of him you know human beings are such idolatrous beings that we would have built a huge saint paul's cathedral or something around him you know the vatican state but he was buried and nobody knows the writer the holy spirit through the writer is comparing moses with jesus or jesus with moses and it's in just as moses was complete and faithful so too is our lord jesus christ but even more so even more so when he goes on for this one has been counted worthy of much more glory than moses inasmuch as he who built the house has more glory than the house they used to say well the law came by moses you've heard that expression the law came by moses And it was Moses who built the state of Israel as we think of it today with all its functions and forms. But the writer here is saying, listen, Moses was just a servant in the house. The one who built the house should receive much more honor. Why are you venerating a servant? Why are you wanting to go back to the ways of the servant when the son, the owner of the house has come And is in relationship with you. Why do you want to reject Jesus? Why do you want to dial him down. And go back to something. That was simply a reflection of him. Verse 4. Every house that is built by someone. But he who built all things is God. An inference again that Jesus is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. For as a testimony of those things which would be spoken of afterwards. Here the the writer is saying, why are you worshipping the shadows? Why are you trying to practice the things that were simply a message about the one who was to come? I don't know if you remember, but Moses when speaking to the children of Israel. And he prophesied saying, there will one day come a prophet, one greater than I, who will speak. From God. Prophesying about Jesus. The one who was to come. Here he's telling them. Consider the one in whom we have believed. The apostle and high priest of our faith. Why would you go back to the things. That were just messages about the one who was to come. Why would you dial down and hide. Why would you grow weary and faint. 
When we live in the reality of the promise. Moses was just the promise. Now we live in the fulfillment of the promise. In verse 6. But Christ as a son over his own house. Whose house we are. If we hold fast the confidence. And rejoicing in the hope. Firm to the end. Here again we have one of the, the five Warnings or exhortations that are in the book of Hebrews. It begins for the rest until about verse 6 in chapter 4, I think. Here, he, there's like a little barb. You know like an arrow has a point and then it has barbs. And the arrow goes in and it does lots of damage. But then when you try and pull the arrow out, those barbs actually do more damage when you're pulling it out than, than it went in. The, the hole going in is nice and neat, but when you pull it out, it tears the flesh. Well, this comment is like those little barbs. The, the strike has gone in nice and clean, but now there is a barbie. All these things are true and real and right. But... These things are only true and real and right if you hold rejoicing until the end. For we know that there are many who confess faith, who believe that they are believers, but then as time goes by, other stuff comes up. Persecution, distractions, temptations, worldly wealth, the things of this life. Remember the parable of the sower where Jesus warned us about these things? about the seed that was thrown on the path and the little birds came and took it away. Jesus said that that was those who have a hard heart. They hear the word, but Satan just takes it out of their heart and they don't care. Then there are those who, like the seed that was cast upon the, the stony ground. Oh, sorry, the, 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 the ditch. Oh, no, the stony ground. I was right, I was right. Gosh. The stony ground. And where the soil is shallow, it sprouts up immediately, bears, begins to look like it's going to bear fruit, but the sun comes out. It withers and dies. Jesus said it's like those who hear the word respond to it with enthusiasm and excitement. But then when hardship comes, when they understand sacrifice must be paid, that there is a cost to living with Jesus, their confession withers away and it never bears fruit to eternal life. They show themselves to be false believers. And then that soil that is cast in the, in the, the ditch or among the thorns. You ever been walking in fields? I have fields around where I live. And as you're going through from one field to the next, there's ditches. And in those ditches, there's just Holland buskar, you know, the bushes of Holland and the spikes are Bjornbad. We have Bjornbad where we live. The, the, the spikes. You try and, and they tear your pants, trousers. I'm going to say pants there, Julia. Tear your trousers. Get thorns. That seed that's cast in, in among those thorns and it grows up. But the thorns and the thistles, they choke the life out of it. And the plant never gets to full a maturity and it dies. And you said that's like those who hear the word, receive it. 
But the temptations, the subtleties, the distractions of this life pull them away and they never form, they never they give up Christ. They show themselves to be false believers. They have never truly believed in Jesus. They have not continued to the end. Their journey was cut short. And then Jesus says about the, the seed that was cast or scattered into the field among the, the plowed rows and how that grows and grows to maturity and, and produces fruit 40, 60 or 100 fold. And he says that's those who have received it and heard it and kept it in their hearts and persevered to the end. Shown themselves to be true and real believers. In that mind, that's who me speaking to today. He's warning. You believe all these things. Well, if you continue to the end, you show yourself to have believed all these things. If you continue in your steadfast love and joy in Jesus Christ, and you don't exchange him for Moses. You don't exchange him for a quiet life. You don't exchange him for respectability and stability. If you demonstrate faithfulness to the end, that Christ is important to you, that he is your high priest, that he is your apostle, the one who is the expression of God's love to you, if you continue to the end, beloved, we are commanded, we are encouraged, exhorted to consider Jesus. Not just to fall into the religious mold of doing the same things day in, week in, month in, year in, of just falling into the pattern of cultural, traditional worship. We are to be active in our mind. We are to be continual. I'm not saying day and night just walking around with the Bible. Jesus, Jesus. But we must get to know him. Beloved, how's your prayer life? Have you spent time with Christ? Today, this weekend, this week, this month, this year? I can say that because we're still in the beginning of this year. Have you considered him? Have you spoken to him? The other night, Sarah and I were in bed and we were sleeping and I woke up at 4.41 in the morning. Could not sleep again. I could not fall back to sleep. And sat, lay in bed. Didn't want to get out of bed because Sarah always wakes up when I get out of bed. She said, where are you going? Get back to bed. And not that my Sarah talks like that, but in my head she does. And um, at 4.40 in the morning. And I lay in bed and talked to Jesus. And I said, look, I'm sorry for waking you up, Lord. <laughs> I'm sure he wasn't asleep. But you know, sorry, Lord. But no. And for the next hour, talk to God while I was lying in bed. Talk to the Lord Jesus Christ while I was lying in bed and could not sleep. Went through the members of the church praying for us. Went through the issues that are going on in Finland. And, and just and talking to him like I would talk to you. Lord, I don't understand all the things that are going on at the moment, but I do know that you're in control. I find it very difficult to accept these things, Lord. There's part of me that wants to fight back. Oh, Lord. 
Are you spending time with Jesus? Do you sneak off? Do you have your personal private time of devotion? In the ancient world, you would begin every morning with a devotion. You would get up and the first thing you do when you get out of bed is you would, you would, you would thank God that you were able to get out of bed. Thank God that a hurricane or a volcano or a whatever hadn't happened, that you hadn't died or your husband hadn't died, your children were well, you had still a house because life was so uncertain back then. And they would give thanks and they would begin their day. Now you and I, we don't practice that because we, we, we live in an atheistic time, don't we? We live in a time ruled by science. As if science is some sort of all-knowing God. And we have been taught to be practical atheists. We, we believe in God in our head and in our heart. But in our practical outpouring of our lives, not so much. I mean, when we're at work and we're having lunch with the people at work, we, we don't just say, excuse me, I have to say grace. Thank you, Lord, for this food. Please bless in my body, my body, just in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And we could, we don't do that. Indeed, we rarely say grace over our own meal times. We're rarely thankful. God is not considered when problems happen in our lives. The first thing we do, we don't go, okay, I have to pray about this. You know, we're like, oh, what shall we do? We're practical atheists, and we need to redevelop how we think as Christians. We need to have him as the first and foremost of our lives and to be more Christian, not to dial it down. Sorry, that way. Dialing it down is this way. But rather to dial up our faith. Beloved, we must always remember that this life is not the end. That after this, there is eternity. And if we truly are filled with the love of God and the love of Christ, we should have a compassion for our fellow men. We must be his apostles. As Jesus Christ was God's apostle to us, the demonstration of God's love to you personally, Jesus then has sent you and I out as apostles in this world to demonstrate his love to those who do not know him. I can say that happened for me. The teacher who, who helped lead me to faith, Brian McCluskey, little short man, looked like Woody Allen, big thick glasses. Know those wonderful 80s glasses? Julia knows those thick 80s glasses, don't you, Julia? Those big bottle top ones, not that Julia had big bottle top ones, but those kind of little small man, very unimpressive. You could, we used to make fun of him. And yet that man came and was the apostle of God's love to me and told me the truth about the gospel. Even though it caused difficulty between him and the other teachers, he was faithful in his witness. And I thank God for him. Could you imagine if that man was intimidated or afraid by the other teachers around him that he wouldn't share his faith in class? That he would, he, he just, just for the sake of, of fitting in, said nothing. Nothing, sorry. That was Irish came out there. Nothing. Nothing. Where would I be? I would be still going to eternity lost. I would still be going to hell. I thank God for that man's faithfulness. We used to sing. We used to sit in that man's class 
In my class in high school was made up of boys. I went to a boys high school. There were no girls except for teachers and cleaners in my school. There were 37 boys in my class. I was in a class of 15, 16 year olds, 37 of them, it was hell. We used to sit in this class as this teacher, Brian McCluskey, used to try and teach us the Bible. He was the religious teacher as well as some other things and uh, the religion teacher. And, uh, and we used to sing, let me bash my Bible on your head. Let me bash my Bible on your head. Let me, I went on and it got very rude. And he endured it. Could you imagine being mocked day in and day out by 15, 16 year old children and they're making fun of you and you're trying to share the love of God and every lesson he used to bring Christ in and every lesson he would quote a Bible verse or two and the one that I remember that changed my life. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man come unto the Father except by me. That destroyed me. That saved me. In that I saw the fullness of Jesus Christ, his holiness, his purity, his completeness. In that I saw that I was a dirty, rotten, filthy sinner. That I was excluded from the family of God. That I could never have peace with God except if I had peace with Jesus Christ. And that Jesus Christ was offering that peace to me. And all I had to do was receive it. I thank God that Brian McCluskey, that teacher, whom I haven't seen in 30 years. Don't know if he's still alive. I, I know that one day I will see him in heaven. That man came and shared the gospel and was faithful in his witness. Jesus was God's apostle to us. Now it is our job, our responsibility to be the apostles of Christ and not unlike the apostles of the twelve, but those who are sent out to bring the love of God to the people around us. Not just that we be nice people. Brian was a lovely man. But him being a lovely man would not have saved me. It would not have brought me to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He quoted scripture and argued, like I remember arguing to him, I used to say, I think aliens brought life to God, uh, brought life to earth. I think aliens came from another planet and seeded life on our planet and went away. And he was like, Kyle, that's foolishness. I was like, what do you mean? He says, because the Bible says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You're being a fool. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> Because I always thought I was really clever, you know. I'm really clever. Quick with my words. And he just said, you're being a fool. And I, that was the end. I never said that again. Because I thought, oh gosh, I don't look stupid. You know, my pride. It was not his niceness that helped me come to Christ. It was the fact that he shone out Christ. That he quoted the Bible. That he unleashed the word. And let the spirit use that two-edged sword upon this heart. Beloved, let us not grow weary. Let us not get tired. Let us not give up. Let us not give in. Let us be faithful. Let us consider and think of that one, the one who is both our high priest and our apostle. He who has come from God and who represents God for us. The one who is the 
expression of God's love to us. Remember said with flowers? Oh, I can just see Martin dressed in black climbing up the window with a big bunch of flowers coming for you. I can just see Don't No, I couldn't see Don do that, no. Uh, couldn't see myself doing it either, to be honest. God said it with more than just flowers and a box of chocolates. God said it with the life of his only begotten son, with his own life. Beloved, let's not give up nor give in. Let us be steadfast in our considering, our pursuing, our thinking about, our becoming more and more familiar with Jesus Christ in his person and in his purpose, who he is and what he is doing, what he has done and what he will do. And in that we will be encouraged in our faith. We will find a freshness, a newness, a restoration, a courage to be able to pursue the day. God willing, the Lord will reach through us and use us to communicate that love to the people around us. Remember, it is not by your niceness that people will come to faith. Not by your goodness. I'm not saying be horrible and not be good. But it is by the unleashing of the word of God. It is by pointing people to Jesus. It is by standing for the truth. That truth that is revealed through God's scriptures. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus and for all that he means to us. We thank you that it is in him that we see your love. That we see your great passion for us, Lord, as a people, but also as individuals. Lord, I apologize and ask for forgiveness for every time where I have been unfaithful, where I have doubted your love or been afraid, Lord, or, or have questioned your commitment. Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for every time that I have dialed down my devotion to you. Every time, Lord, I have become fuzzy in my expression. Lord, I pray, forgive me. Lord, I'm grateful that your word says that you are faithful and just. And will forgive us our sins and we confess them. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that you would change us. The Lord, you would create within us a holy hunger to know more about you in your person and in your purpose. Lord, that we might be able to work together with you Lord, be your co-workers in this world. Lord, there are many in our lives, whether they be our family, our children, our relatives, our friends, our neighbors, indeed even the stranger in the street that we do not know. Lord, who, who need to hear, you, hear from you, who need to know you, who, Lord, are lost and alone and without love in their lives. We pray, oh God, that you'd be merciful to them. That, Lord, that you who have decided on every name, Lord, and every person who shall share you this sacred and holy gift of life that comes through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, that, Lord, that you would be generous with it, and that, Lord, that you would give it to, to many, Lord, and um, by us and through us. Lord, I do ask these things for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.